Good morning, Infused Church. My name is Rob Williams. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor of a small church called the Bridge Church up in Charles City, Iowa, and I'm so absolutely ecstatic to be joining with you this morning. Uh, we might need to talk to Taylor with how many times I've been able to, to uh, hang out with you guys and be able to speak with you guys, because as many times as I've preached messages, I think it's time that I get on the staff page. I don't know about you guys, but I think it'd be really good for me to just send Taylor a little blurb and maybe a profile picture so that, you know, everybody just understands that, you know, I'm now on staff and maybe maybe we could even talk to him about getting me on the payroll. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm really glad to be with you guys today and I'm excited about the message that I feel like God's placed on my heart for all of you and, and I pray it blesses you today. And I want to start by talking about something that we've all heard a number of times throughout culture over the last four years. Yes, that's right. Today I wanted to talk to you about fake news. Fake news. It's a hot button term that many of us have probably honestly grown, grown tired of hearing over the last few years. The term was really made popular by our president, Donald Trump, back in January of 2017 when he, he refused to field a question from a news reporter named John uh, Jim Acosta, calling the reporter himself actually fake news. But Believe it or not, the story of fake news goes back a bit further than that. In 2016, during our U.S. presidential election, a bunch of teens from a town in Veals, Macedonia, came up with a prof profitable initiative to uh, actually create fake news stories and headlines that they would share on social media and eventually be paid for as they, they turned viral. During that time, one of the most, if not the most, viral topics in the United States in 2016 was the election. One of the headlines even read, Pope Francis shocks the world, endorses Donald Trump for president, releases statement. After the truth came out about these articles, though, a number of news outlets began to use the term fake news in various ways to describe reports they believed to be manipulated, inaccurate, or even false. But this only muddied the, the meaning of the term so much more. Was, was fake news misinformation? Was it conspiracy theories? Was it pranks or political spin information? information? How, how exactly would you define fake news? It, it really wasn't until Donald Trump used the term fake news to describe the media outlet, a media outlet he did not like or agree with that the term became a trending topic that took the world by storm. But now, fake news is a term that's used by social media outlets, national media outlets, politicians on both sides of the coin, and, and even some circles, it's simply, in some circles, it's simply become a joke whenever we don't like something. This is all rooted in a society that is jam-packed with so much information due largely in part to the internet. We are in the information age. It's undeniable. If you want to know something or learn something or learn anything about anything, it seems as though the information is right at your fingertips. You just got to Google it, right? It's a huge advantage that we have over previous generations, this, this idea that Google became a verb and the fact that you can get on YouTube and, and learn just about anything you want to learn as it pertains to fixing things or, or, or anything you can think of off the top of your head. But then... I feel as, as awesome as the information age is, there's also a danger to it. I, I don't want us to miss that. Don't get me wrong. Like anything in this world, the internet is a great tool and resource for our society when used honestly and honorably, but due to a lack of accountability, gaining information from it can be really dangerous. 
A couple of decades ago, journalists and historians were held to what seemed a much higher level of accountability. You, you, you know, a while back, I actually looked into uh, the Society of Professional Journalism, uh, their, their code of ethics, okay? Uh, we're going to call them SPJ. And, and, and when I looked at SPJ, I found their four awesome core values that are held by journalists involved in this group. Check this out. As a member of the SPJ, you are held to a high level of standards and accountability along these four principles or objectives. As a member of SPJ, your objective is to do these four things, okay? Here's their code of ethics. It is your job to seek truth and report it, to minimize harm, to act independently, and to be accountable and transparent. But here's the thing. With the rise of information being produced out on the internet, social media taking our country by storm, and the lack of research done by so many before sharing anything with anyone, it's hard to know who to trust, isn't it? I mean, who do you listen to? The SPJ doesn't expand across all the internet. Not everyone is a part of that group. And, and, and even if you fact-checked information, how would you know that the facts are really facts? This all boils down to one question. Where do we find truth? And this is the question that I want us to answer this morning. Where do we find truth? I think the answer to that question is so important because where we find truth can determine so much of our beliefs and who we in turn will become. I think we can all agree on one insight though, and that is that we all desire truth. Humanity has been seeking out truth since the beginning of time, and people believe they found it in a number of different places. Some of us find truth in education. Some of us find truth in religion. Some of us find truth in our feelings and emotions. Some of us find truth in our own situations and circumstances. Some of us find truth in facts and numbers and statistics. Some of us find truth in profiling and what we would call thin slicing. Where do you find truth? I mean, just be honest with yourself. Sure, the, the Christian answers are Jesus or God or the Bible, but, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us don't always find all of our truth there. Some of us, some of us actually like to take a little bit of truth from here and a little bit of truth from there and a little more from here and a little more elsewhere. Where you gain your truth from is important because if you can tell me where you look for truth, the foundation from which you pull truth from in life then I can actually determine the type of person you're seeking to become and, and honestly how well you're representing that truth as you pursue it and whether or not you actually believe in it. We all need a foundation. I, I don't think it's healthy to pull from here and there and here and there because then you've got 10 people driving the same bus and that just can't be safe. Where do you find truth? Where do you seek out truth? How about this? Is it consistent? What or who is it consistent with? I mean, consistency and truth is important too, right? One of the big movements we can see in, North, in the North American uh, culture today is this thing that I refer to as the My Truth movement, okay? Well, it's not really a movement as much as it is simply becoming the mindset of so many people. What do I mean when I say my truth? Well, believe it or not, I actually think Urban Dictionary does a pretty good job at defining what living by my truth actually looks like. Check this out. My truth is a pretentious substitute for a non-negotiable personal opinion. Often used by academics, this is a convenient phrase for avoiding arguments because people can contradict your opinion, but not your truth. 
The phrase is often used when seeking to justify a controversial personal, personal stance or action because people are not allowed to argue with your truth. I find it funny that they use the word pretentious as they look to define the term because I actually think it's something that we're all guilty of doing. I think that every person in the room has disagreed with one thing or another due to their truth. This is why so many disagree that homosexuality is wrong because they themselves struggle with their, the, the tendencies or they have the, a relative or a close friend practicing such a lifestyle. This is why so many Republicans don't want higher taxes on the bigger corporations because it's going to directly affect their situations as a part of the upper class. This is why so many people don't believe racism is alive and well in our country, state, or even in our, our, our county because it, it doesn't directly affect them. This is why we think it's okay to have that extra helping of ice cream with supper because, after all, we mow the lawn. This is why we justify gossip because we want people to just be informed. My goal this morning isn't to condemn you, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with any of those things. I'm just telling you that we are all guilty of following, falling into this my truth trap. And herein lies the problem, though. Due to our wealth of information through the internet and media, along with our mistrust of it in so many ways, we've begin, begun to lose our trust in, in, in what is actually truth. And, and not only that, we've more specifically begun to confuse objective truth with subjective truth. You see, subjective truth is saying that something is true based on an experience or opinion. When I say something like apples are delicious, I'm making a subjectively true statement. It's true based on my opinion or experience. Not everyone thinks apples are delicious. Some people only think that certain kinds of apples are delicious. Me, I'm picky about my apples. I'm more of a Granny Smith kind of guy. I loves me some Granny Smith apples, but I don't eat, uh, I, I don't eat too many red or yellow apples. I'm not really a fan. But when I say that apples are delicious, some of you may not agree. It's not a fact. It's subjective to who you are and what your experience is, while objective truth is much different. Objective truth is something that is true regardless of personal experience or opinion. Objective truth is essentially known facts, truth that is truth whether you want to argue about it or not. An objectively true statement would be saying something like apples are a fruit, or apples may be red, green, or yellow. Or the Green Bay Packers are the greatest football team of all time. All of those are objectively true statements. Okay, okay, maybe the last one's a bit subjective. Maybe. When the phrase, my truth is used, what's generally meant is what is true to me or true for me based on my own experience and understanding. That's a subjective truth. It's val it is valid and, and, and meaningful in some cases, but it only exists for that person or for people who share that experience or belief. The most extreme case of living within subjective truth alone is known as existentialism, okay? The belief that philosophical thinking begins with the human subject, not merely the thinking subject, but the acting, feeling, and living human individual. While the predominant value of, ex of existentialism, uh, of existentialist thought is commonly acknowledged to be freedom, its primary virtue is authenticity. You see, when you live a life based on your truth alone, when I live a life based on my truth alone, I live a life based on feelings. 
And when we do this, a number of mistakes are made here that made here that devalue and disrupt community and relationships. It's just dangerous. It's dangerous because what's true for you is not always true for me. And when you live only according to your feeling and our, in your experience, it demeans and devalues my life and my experiences and, and others as well. It's dangerous because it eliminates empathy for other situations when their experiences or beliefs might adversely affect you or vice versa. It eliminates servitude. It eliminates compassion and understanding Far be it from us to believe the lie that just because it's not my experience means it's not true. Am I telling you to be inauthentic and to ignore your own or others' thoughts, feelings, or inexperiences? Absolutely not. God's allowed you to feel and think and experience those things all for a purpose. What I'm telling you this morning is that experience is just one piece of the puzzle. It's one small piece of the puzzle that we use to determine, interpret, and understand truth within our world. And, 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 and so, if, if it's hard to, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, but I, I just want to ask this question to set us up as, before we dive into the scripture. If, if it's hard for us to trust the internet, the media, social media, or even a number of news sources otherwise, if my truth or your truth isn't enough, if we don't want to become existentialists, then let's go back to our main question. Where do we find truth? Well, this brings us back to our common ground. And for those of you that are still wrestling with the faith, I just want us to begin by emphasizing this common ground here once again because I think God calls us to, value, uh, to values that we all want to strive for no matter what our background is. You see, God's placed something inside of us called the Imago Dei. That is the image of God. And this makes us all seek, crave, and desire, and even act on certain things because of what is already inside of us. So let's go back to our common ground. Here it is. We all desire truth. We are all pursuing truth. God has placed inside of you and me this innate desire to seek and know truth. I mean, no one wants to live a lie, right? Unless it's for the protection or selfish gain or even then, you can only live in that lie or that protection for so long before you start to go a little stir crazy, right? We all desire truth. We seek it out. We strive for it. We crave it. And here's what's so great. God has a ton to say about truth. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, we see a letter written by a guy named Paul, and he calls uh, believers to equip themselves with what he refers to as the armor of God. He talks about equipping the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, along with a few other things. But what I don't think is a coincidence is that the very first thing that Paul calls the believer to fit to himself is the belt of truth. You got it. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Equip yourself with truth. Two things to note here. Number one, we're called to pursue truth and equip ourselves with it daily. And number two, this hints at God's standpoint on truth. And that is that truth is constant regardless of the human experience. Let me say that again. Truth is constant regardless of the human experience. This is the side of rationalism. We don't get to determine our own truth. Truth is constant, and we are to stand firm in the constant truth that we receive from our Heavenly Father, not in the truth that we make up ourselves or that we've been through ourselves, not truth based on our feelings or experiences. 
Pursuing truth is not something that only followers of Jesus do, though. Pursuing truth is something that we all look to do. It's something that we all want to do, something that's been placed inside of us since our conception. The pursuit of truth is natural for all of us. It's part of the Imago Dei. The question is whether we are looking in the right place for that truth. So now that we've kind of set ourselves up for the big question, we've, we've kind of explored all of the issues and the problems, and we've come to find common ground together, let's look at where we're supposed to get truth as believers in Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. Okay, If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have an app for that, I want to encourage you to download an awesome app called YouVersion. That's Y-O-U version. And it's an awesome app you can download for free on your phone. I like to call it my social media Bible app. And uh, we're going to be in the book of John. Okay. Now there's four different books of John in in the Bible. There's John, there's first John, second John and third John, but we're only going to be in just the, the John, John. Okay. Just John chapter one, uh, one of the gospels. And we're going to pick things up right in chapter one, verse one. Um, we're going to read a big chunk, chunk of scripture here, and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. So let's just read this together. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. That life <clears throat> and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He's speaking of John the Baptist, okay? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made him dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and, you got it, truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in His and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay, so that was a lot. But if you're watching this today, that means that you're at least giving this whole God and creation thing a shot. And if you're going to give it a fair shot, then you have to start with God as your creator. That's what John did. That's what he said here. He said, he writes that the word was in the beginning and the word is God and, 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 and the word that is God is also Jesus. And, and, and Jesus came to the world to save us from our sins and, 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 and only a few accepted his truth because he was full of grace and truth. In other words, what John was getting at here is that you want to know where to find truth in life. 
look to the creator who made life. I mean, why would you look anywhere else? Who knows more about the created than he who created it? It's like if I were to start a business and to build it from the ground up. No one's going to know the ins and outs of, a co- of that company like me. I created it. I built it. I innovated it to make it work. I started that business from the very beginning with no employees. I was customer service, customer care, product development, and the sales department all at the same time. Who knows that business more than me? Who knows the created more than the creator? No one. No one. Jesus said, I, you or I don't get to determine who, true, what truth is without first considering him who is the word and is truth. And not only that, we, we don't get to pick our truth. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me illustrate this another way. If I were to buy a worn-out, dilapidated 67 Z28 Camaro, okay? And if I were to, if I were to, to buy one of those and, and restore it, if I, if I fix it up, if I pull that car apart piece by piece, and I sand down the rust, and I re- rebuild the motor, carburetor, and suspension system, I tear it all down, clean it up, bolt everything back together, I do all the work necessary to get it running again, and even paint it my own preferred color, does that change what kind of car it is? No. It's still a 67 Camaro Z28. The creators of the Chevrolet Motor Company determined that when they created it. I can't change that no matter what I do to it, no matter how much work I put into it, no matter what my experience is like with it. And that's okay because it's a beautiful piece of machinery. Am I right? In the same way, I don't get to take God's word and cut this out, and cut that out, and try to rebuild into it what I want it to be. The truth will always be there, staring me in the face. God's word, God's creation, God's truth will always be what it is. It will always be constant. It will always be the same. It will never change, and it's not my job to change it. We look to the creator God for our truth. We, don't, we submit to that constant, that truth first, despite our experience. Does that mean our experiences have no merit? Absolutely not. But we filter our thoughts, feelings, and experiences through this truth that the word was in the beginning, that it was with God and is God, and from whom is Jesus Christ. So let me break this down a bit and, and make this applicable as, I, as applicable as I can for you. We find truth in God. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Like it's, it's too simple. You feel like you're in Sunday school and the teacher asks a question and one of the kids raises their hand and they shout, Jesus, while the rest of us roll our eyes, right? Yes, Jesus is the answer. But how do I carry that into real life? How do I interpret what, what is true in life? Well, Um, I don't know if you know this, but the Bridge Church is part of the Wesleyan Church, which is actually not much different from the Nazarene, okay? Which, uh, it's not too many, too too different from those of you at Infuse. And here at the Bridge, we do our best to interpret everything through what we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral, okay? Now, some of you might be going, all right, Rob, you're using some really big words on me now. (laughs) So just let me explain. And, and, And I don't want this to scare you, okay? This is how we as a Christian race, how a number of theologians, pastors, 
and scholars all look to interpret everything we're approached with in our devotionals, our experience, news articles, books, theology, and just just all of life, okay? So this is what I want to do. Uh, I, I just want to run through what is the Wesleyan quadrilateral and, and how we can begin to determine what truly is truth. The Wesleyan quadrilateral was founded by a very highly regarded church father named John Wesley, okay? And it is probably the most practical tool I can give you to help you interpret truth. If you're taking notes, this is a great place for you to get your pen ready, okay? The Wesleyan quadrilateral, I like to think of it as a base system, like you're running the bases on a ball field, okay, is made up of four filters which we interpret and apply truth through in our lives. And the first and most important filter is actually scripture, okay? We always start with scripture. Scripture was to Wesley and is still to this day the church's highest standard of truth and authority. It's the most central piece to the quadrilateral as much as it must be considered the most the first and foremost, okay? Um, there are four legs to the stool or quadrilateral, but this is above the rest. It holds the most weight and it has the greatest impact when considered, or worse yet, left out. And we regard it that way, this way, because Jesus treated scripture in this way. Throughout all of life, as we seek out truth, we have to look at the word first. That's the most tangible constant we have within Christianity today. Who should I date? Well, what does scripture say about that? How do I treat women? Well, what does scripture say about that? How do I take care of my body? Well, what does scripture say about that? What's right? What's wrong? What does scripture say about that? We look to the inspired truth of God first because Jesus and the word and the, was the word and the word was in the beginning and God and was God and is God, okay? And that truth doesn't change. As believers in the Bible, we see in Ecclesiastes that what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Meaning that there's nothing new to the Father or even creation that has not been experienced, learned, or dealt with in the past. I heard one pastor say this last week, or, or, or a, few, uh, a few months ago, that so often culture and science discover and affirm that what the Bible has been teaching for thousands of years. Let me say that again, okay? I think I, I kind of muddled that a little bit. I heard one pastor say this last week, and, and he said that so often um, culture and science discover and affirm what the Bible has been teaching for thousands of years. Have any of, any of you ever had an experience like that? Where, where you see science or culture discover something and you're like, well, yeah, we knew that. The Bible's been teaching that forever. All right, so we start with scripture. And then we have the opportunity to look to tradition. Tradition is what our forefathers and church fathers and previous generations have learned, taught, and experienced. What they've discovered. We discover that their writings and findings in literature, uh, we, we consider their writings and findings in literature. History is a powerful tool and lessons learned. I love how a friend of mine talked about this. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, if there's nothing new under the sun, then it's not our job to reinvent God's truth or to neglect what has been taught in the previous generations. God's truth has stood the test of time for thousands of years. It's our job to uphold that truth and find more creative and relatable ways to communicate it to the world. The truth that's been passed down through generations is priceless, and we can't fail to look to our elders and forefathers. Have you ever read people like Tozer or Bonhoeffer or C.S. Lewis? You, you want to talk about rich truth in theology. You want to talk about depth of thought. I mean, they didn't have iPads and smartphones and, and, and computers or social media to distract them from their faith, and, and we've got so much to gain 
through looking back. All right, so we start with Scripture. We consider it through the eyes of tradition, and then we can move into where faith and life intersect. We look to reason. Listen, not all of faith makes sense. I get that. But the main reason I came to my faith in God and in the Bible was because he just made sense to me. God gave us human reason for a reason. Your faith should make sense. Your beliefs should make sense to you. How you interpret scripture and life and relationships should have with it an element of human reason as long as it doesn't divorce itself from scripture. In other words, faith is rational and can and should be defended rationally. Rarely, if ever, should faith be divorced from reason. Okay, so we've got scripture, we've got tradition, we've got reason, and finally, we have experience. Wesley, as a practical theologian, contended that part of the theological method would involve experiential faith, putting God's truth into practice, and understanding that, that, that faith in, in real life should intersect. In other words, truth would be vivified in personal experience of Christians overall, not just individually, okay? And that's important. If it's really truth, there's a good chance that you're going to see and hear that others have experienced it as well. The God of the Bible is and still the same God today as Wesley declared, what scriptures promise I enjoy. With faith comes personal experience. God is to be experienced as much as his will and ways are to be enjoyed in our overall experience affirms scripture and all that we are taught and perceived through life. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. Scripture being held in the highest regard and ultimate authority and the other three legs of the stool being used to stabilize and affirm its validity. All right, so here's my challenge for you guys today. Are you ready? I just want you to take 21 days and begin to read God's word. Just do yourself a favor. We're in the book of John today. There's 21 chapters in the book of John. And what I want you to do over the next 21 days is I want you to just read it as though whatever it says, no matter what it says, is truth. Look at the New Testament through the lens of objective truth, something that's constant despite our experience. Sink into the truth of God's word and see where it gets you. Interpret everything in it as though it were true and see how much of it makes sense and lines up, if you will. Interpret it through the lens of tradition, reason, and experience and then see how it shakes out. In John chapter 18, we actually see that Jesus is on trial in front of a man named Pontius Pilate. The Roman governor and high-ranking official of that time, uh, uh, the Jews had condemned Jesus and turned him over to the Roman officials in hopes that he would be executed by Rome so that Jesus' blood would supposedly not be on, their, on his hands or on their hands. And in seeking justice, Pilate questions Jesus as he seeks to find what the truth is, right? And this is what he says. He says, so you're a king then to Jesus. But Jesus said this, he said, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus said. To which Pilate simply retorted, well, what is truth? Pilate was standing there, looking at the face of truth, and he missed it. He didn't, he didn't get it. He, 
He didn't have the mind or the heart or the knowledge or the capacity to receive it. Pilate missed the truth. If I'd implore you of anything this morning, it would be this. Don't miss God's truth. Don't miss it for your life. Don't miss it for your children's lives. And don't manipulate it or change it for what you think is yours or others' own good. Truth is constant, regardless of our experiences or opinions. And Jesus proclaimed that when you know the truth, it will set you free. So let's not be prone to submit to our own truth here. If we're going to pursue any truth, let it be God's truth that he's given us since the beginning of time. And and just see where that takes us. I can tell you this. I'm not going to preach any other truth than God's truth. And I'd hope you'd expect no less of Pastor Taylor. May our hearts always be that of David who prayed, guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are my God and Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Thank you so much for joining me this morning and allowing me to join you in Fuse Church. God bless.